In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, the very special birthday boy, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Oh, time marches on, my younger friend. How are you? Uh, I'm good. You're so old now that if one of us is going to Disney, it can't be you. So yeah, this no, is great. I'm, I've been aged out of, of the bubble. Yeah, you're a whole 11, what, 11 months older than me? You just turned uh, 35? Yeah, yeah. Okay, 11 months older than me. It's great. It's great. You are, uh, I guess Marc Gasol is the only player on the team saving you from being the oldest person. Yeah, that was a big acquisition for me. Uh, it was the same when, when they traded for P.J. Tucker that year. That was uh, that made somebody older than me on the Raptors. And then now the Marc Gasol trade, who I believe is January 85, if I'm not mistaken. Um, born Sounds in January like 85. Uh Yes, so he slides, it puts me in between him and Kyle Lowry, and it's much appreciated, but those days are soon ending for both of us, I fear. Yeah, I've always had Lowry, who's six yeah. weeks older than me. So yeah, well, he's going to play until he's 46, so you're fine. Yeah, that'd be great. And then he'll just transition into to taking our jobs or coaching or something like that. <sighs> Kyle Lowry as media is, is sort of my dream. Yeah, I mean, you don't, he could definitely play like the Kendrick Perkins kind of role immediately but I think like long term Kyle could be really good at it and not devolve into hot taking um you know Perkins has some good insight I don't mean to throw throw yeah, dirt Kendrick. on him at, as a complete Ryan Hollins type or anything like that I'm just <laughs> strays for everyone right now uh what I'm trying to say is that I feel like Kyle would be um pretty good at it and could land in the more um, like Doug Christie range of like entertaining and, and good anecdotes and stuff, but also like very sharp analysis. I uh, won't have Kendrick Perkins stuff. name uh, who Kendrick uh, Perkins really colored up my uh, Serge Ibaka story with some profane quotes. Uh, I won't have his name besmirched, Blake. You, you yeah, watch your the, mouth. The only former G-leaguer that I'll besmirch, Kendrick <laughs> Perkins. <laughs> you could pick better in terms of your personal safety, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, no, no disrespect meant to Kendrick Perkins and like a Perkins. fellow beardsman too. Yeah, I mean, look, he's wonderfully entertaining. Yeah, it just uh, you know, I don't know. I know my, what you're... my personal top five all time doesn't change every week, but that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. This is uh, all of that was to say that when Kyle Lowry eventually feels the effects of aging in his mid forties, uh, he'll probably he could probably make. 
a good media member, um, despite the fact that he hates us. Maybe the fact that he doesn't, that he has a distaste for media pushes him further into going into it where it's like, you know yeah. what, I'm going to, I'm going to do your job better than you now. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, he's made $150 million or something. So, uh, it, we'll see if he's motivated to do so. Not that, you know, great, I mean, Shaq's in the media, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, personal earnings don't necessarily keep you from doing that, but I, I wonder. We'll see. Yeah, I, uh, you know, functionally there are diminishing returns to money, but I feel like mentally, psychologically, there are not diminishing returns to money. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine you still enjoy know. seeing the numbers. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I know... Uh, yeah, I know not of that life. Anyway... <laughs> Um, speaking of media, later in this podcast, we'll be bringing on Raptors play-by-play voice Matt Devlin. Uh, you may be aware that this weekend marks the anniversary of the Raptors 2019 NBA Championship. Devlin's going to come on and talk to us a bit about uh, his experience going through that, his call in Game 6, a bunch of other fun stuff. And hey, what life might be like for him in the return-to-play scenarios being kicked around, which is what we're going to talk about today. We touched on it briefly uh, last week, and then uh, Eric and I talked about it just tons over the uh, the weekend at the giant birthday extravaganza for Eric that yeah. you guys weren't invited to. Um, not even a Zoom call, guys. Not even a Zoom call. Eric didn't want to do anything. I'm uh, unbelievable. You know, <laughs> there's only so many free passes at doing nothing for your birthday that you get in your life. So yeah. uh, uh, I'm going to take it. What kind of pie was key, made for key you? Key lime pie. It is my favorite dessert, and it's delicious. And All right. uh, it's. I disagree, but I'm not. I mean, I don't need it to be your favorite dessert. Yeah, I, I don't it's need, your birthday. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. You just you don't have the same opinion as me. I'm not sure this is an agree or disagree. I mean, I guess the agreement is whether it tastes good. Um, yes. Anyway, this is this. We're into deep tangential territory here. All right, so the NBA's return to play format. By the way, uh, Eric had a piece breaking down uh, his immediate thoughts on this and kind of a reset of where the Raptors are at at The Athletic last week. On Monday, I went back and forth with our resident analytics expert and former Milwaukee Bucks uh, front office member Seth Partnow to kind of refresh on where the Raptors are. Reigning reigning Eastern Conference finalist loser, Seth Partnow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. All right. Well, Seth's not coming on the pod now. Thanks. <laughs> Seth, Seth Partnow and Kendrick Perkins will no longer are, are being deleted from the brainstorming sheet for potential podcast guests. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Uh, our pieces. <laughs> yeah, so Seth, Seth and I uh, reset kind of where the Raptors uh, are or, or were in terms of things like, hey, how is Pascal Siakam looking in the number one usage role? Uh, hey, you know, what does Fred Van Vliet's market maybe look like when he's very good but has one kind of fatal flaw in his statistical profile right now? And, you know, most interesting to me, I think, is the Raptors having the number two defense in the league while giving up an historic rate of corner three-point attempts to opponents. Uh, so you can check out all that stuff at theathletic.com. Uh, if you are not already a subscriber, theathletic.com slash we the six, that's the number six for 40% off. Uh, I just drew the number six on my desk with my finger. You can't see that, 
but be sure to use the number six and not the word six. Uh, Theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off a subscription. Uh, we've also continued rolling out some draft stuff. Um, I have a mailbag going up later this week, and we'll continue, obviously, as the news gets more specific. Uh, for the return of play, we'll be breaking some of that stuff down. Some of the questions that are still out there include uh, what exactly the eight-game schedule looks like for each team. There are some theories and some hints that we're going to talk about momentarily uh, as they pertain to the Raptors locking up the two-seed. Uh, there are questions like, what does a roster look like? Um, we know that, per reporting from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and I believe Bobby Marks as well, that June 22nd will mark the opening of a kind of the player movement window where teams, including the eight teams, uh, that are not invited to Orlando will be able to make roster moves. Uh, there are, I think, seven or eight open roster spots across those eight teams. So this is the time of year where you see, you know, the Miami Heat give Kendrick Nunn a multi-year deal uh, to kind of get him in the system for the summer. Uh, the Raptors in previous years have converted a two-way player into an open roster spot. Uh, the Raptors are operating with a full roster right now, um, 15 players plus two two-ways. And that's another question. What happens with the two-ways in all of this? Um, we might talk about that today if we get time. Otherwise, that'll be uh, a future discussion uh, once we know whether O'Shea Brissett and Paul Watson Jr. will be among the 35 or so uh, players and staff in Orlando if all of this goes uh, according to plan. We also have some key dates as uh, the Athletics Shams Terrania reported. Um, the play-in tournament would occur uh, August 16th, 17th. The first round of the playoffs would begin August 18th. And based on the schedule Shams has laid out and what the NBA said with uh, October 12th being the last possible finals game, it looks like we are in for a every second day pattern all through the playoffs. Um, that also, I believe the window for... Um, the reseeding games is only 16 days long, so you can probably expect at least one or two back-to-backs in there as they, they figure out how to fit, um, you know, 88 games in or, or whatever the number is. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very condensed. There's the potential, if you are one of the play-in teams, um, you could play as many as I think 10, 38 games over the course of like 74 days. And if you're another team, if you're a team like the Raptors, you could play conceivably 36 games over 74 days. Um, you know, I think it could be, not. it could be 39 for one of the play in teams. Cause you might have to, Oh, oh no, never, yeah. Oh no, no, no never no, mind. I'm, I'm an idiot. Yeah. You're, you yeah. are as usual. Correct. And I have so, interrupted this podcast unnecessarily. That's all right. That's kind of the, it's kind of the gimmick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Raptors could be looking at 36 games over the course of 74 days. Um, the ones that we have the most immediate knowledge of are the eight reseeding games. Uh, the NBA has said, the language the NBA used is that they will be eight games from the team's remaining schedule. Uh, Tim Reynolds offered uh, kind of a, a hypothetical breakdown where um, you cut the eight teams obviously that aren't there and then you go you know each team plays its next eight games um, but you run into things like oh the Raptors are supposed to play Memphis but at that point Memphis's eight games are off the schedule so Tim went through those iterations and I think there are like four or six uh, games that'll be uh, teams will be short so those teams can maybe just play against each other uh, to fill out the remaining schedule. If you look at the Raptors' schedule, the Raptors had 18 games remaining, including uh, a handful of layups. You know, they had Detroit, Golden State, New York, uh, Washington, although Washington might still be on the schedule, uh, all on the schedule. And then they had this nice little Charlotte, Atlanta, New York stretch 
heading into their final uh, back-to-back in Florida against Miami and Orlando, uh, they will lose, obviously, all of those kind of layup games. We can say with some certainty that the Raptors are probably going to play Philly, Boston, Denver, and the Lakers. Those are their next four uh, opponents who will be in Orlando. Uh, And then from there, it gets a little messy in terms of, you know, how does the league massage, you know, Memphis's schedule? How do they, are they going straight chronological or are they picking eight games to try to balance the quality of competition and things like that? Uh, But for reference, the Raptors had two left against Memphis, two left against Milwaukee, and then among teams that'll be there, Houston, Washington, Miami, and Orlando. Um, Eric, I guess my my big takeaway from this is when you cut the eight teams away who are not there, the schedule looks really hard for everyone, I think. Yes. Uh, it turns out the Eastern Conference bottom feeders were creating a lot of wins for other teams, which I think is something we intuitively knew. Uh, but it's certainly stark to see it on paper or on virtual paper in this case. Yeah. Uh, on Seven teams in the e- Seven teams in the Eastern Conference uh, had winning percentages below 40%. Uh, One of those teams will be in Orlando, the Washington Wizards. Uh, Other than them, I feel like Phoenix is really the only, like, and Phoenix wasn't even bad. Phoenix was 26 and 39, uh, but they only had a point differential of minus 1.3. Like, they, they weren't. They were hardly a pushover as far as yeah. a, a team 13 games under 500 goes. Uh, I feel like short of the Wizards and Suns, every team is going to look at every game on their schedule as a difficult one. Yeah, uh, and as you, uh, I mean, we've talked about and I wrote about, if some of those schedules that are floating out there do come to pass, the Raptors' schedule looks, I, I haven't compared those schedules, but I've only compared them to Boston, uh, and, and their schedule would be quote-unquote, tougher. Uh, You know, I think the Raptors had seven of their eight games that were proposed uh, in a possible schedule against one of the top, not including them, 12 teams, basically, of of the 13 teams guaranteed to head into the playoffs. The Raptors had seven of those games, and I think the Celtics had three or four. Um, So it's just weird. The Celtics also have Washington twice in the the hypothetical that that Tim Reynolds, who, by the way, is at by Tim Reynolds uh, on Twitter. He's of the Associated Press. Uh, His hypothetical also had the the Celtics playing the Wizards twice. Yeah. Uh, They also had Memphis and Portland um, and Brooklyn among the fringe teams in there. So, yeah. um, But I mean, at the same time, they'll be getting a tougher Portland, uh, a more Mm -hmm. at least the, the, the Portland team would be with Yusuf Nurkic and maybe Zach Collins would be a tougher version of the Blazers than uh, most teams have seen so far this year. So we don't know exactly how it will look. And like those games against the Lakers and the Bucks, maybe that, you know, they're basically assured of top seeds. How hard will they be playing? But it's my main takeaway is it's weird to go from 18 games remaining to eight games remaining. And it almost feels dicier for the Raptors to hold on to the two seed. Now, even though that doesn't make any mathematical sense, you know, cutting down the games by 10 should, regardless of of schedule, help your case to keep the number two seed. And it probably does mathematically, but it doesn't feel like that, which is sort of the odd part. Well, this is the thing with the Raptors being 35 and four against teams below 500. um, You know, you can look at. You can look at these games for every team. And like you said, teams like Milwaukee, who have a six and a half game lead in the East, and the Lakers, who have a five and a half game lead in the West, are 
almost certainly like they're they're basically locks to hold on to those positions so you might get the odd game like that you know Washington could be mathematically eliminated really quickly uh, and then suddenly they don't look you know they look like even more of a of a walkthrough or whatever um, but for the most part the Raptors are the best team in the league other than Milwaukee and the Lakers at taking care of that like actually they have a better record against below 500 teams than the Lakers so they're the best team in the league other than the Bucks at taking care of those um, easy ones on the schedule picking the low-hanging fruit as it were uh, the Raptors were a couple games under 500 against teams above 500 uh, that effect as Seth Partnow and I discussed uh, in our piece on Monday had a lot to do with the offensive side of the ball. The Raptors' defense, in terms of uh, its rank in the league, actually holds up just as well against the league's top 10 teams as it does the bottom 10 teams. Uh, That's not true for defensive efficiency, necessarily, uh, but they are sixth. They're the number six defense in the league against the bottom 10 teams, and they're the number five defense in the league against the top 10 teams, uh, per Seth's data. So, um, you know, it's an offensive concern, and when you come out of the gate looking at potentially... Uh, Philly and Boston right away, uh, that offense is going to be tested. So I guess the big thing for us to talk about is uh, how threatened the Raptors should feel with their standing as the two seed in the East. They have a three-game lead against Boston. If they were to win their meeting, that is surely going to happen against Boston. Uh, They would tie the season series. Boston is up 2-1 right now. That's a huge swing game. If the Raptors win that one, they go four games up. There are only seven other games on the schedule, and the tiebreakers null. Um, they they go by uh, standard uh, tiebreaking formats at that point. I believe the next one is division, which the Raptors would uh, would have a two and a half game edge on at that point. So, um, you know, if they win that game, they're in really good shape. If they lose it though, or if we assume that that's something close to a fifty fifty, which I think it is, uh, Eric, how? How much do you think the Rap? I guess I guess the practical side of the question is how much are the Raptors going to be focused on locking that two seat up, and how much of this is going to be about you know okay, well we only want to play Gasol fifteen minutes the first couple games, and we want to bring Abaka and Lowry along slower maybe, and you know hey we want to get all fifteen guys on the court, so if someone gets hurt later, uh, you know we don't have to tag a guy in who's been inactive for a couple months. Yeah, I think especially at the beginning of things. Uh they'll probably want to get more guys involved and not be seed obsessed. But then I go back to remembering the actual start to the season and Nick Nurse was at, was using pretty tight eight-man rotations then. So maybe that that thought is, is completely wrong. Um, and so I think a lot of it's going to depend how everybody looks in, in training camp and whatever scrimmages or preseason games or or whatever else comes, uh, you know, I think the Raptors are a fairly confident team that aren't going to get overwhelmingly concerned about seeding. They'll more, they'll be more concerned about how they're playing and, and how things are going and, and their sort of internal, you know, uh, cohesion. And these factors all crash into one another, right? Like if you're not looking very cohesive, your seeding's going to go down and therefore they will be playing you know, harder for that seeding if that's how the first half of the eight games start. Uh, but all things being equal, I don't think they're going to go all out for the two seed, even though, you know, it's going to make a big difference playing Orlando or Brooklyn or, you know, Washington and 
in theory, is a lot better than playing Indiana or Philly or Miami. <laughs> so uh, that hasn't changed. That's where we left off, and and that really hasn't changed in in the interim. And as you say, if they lose that game to Boston, assuming it's pretty early in the schedule, which we definitely don't know, um, it it will shape a lot of what's to come. Sure will. Uh, for what it's worth, we right before we hopped on to record this podcast on Tuesday, there was a conference call with Nick Nurse. Uh, a lot of that conference call focused on non-basketball things, uh, particularly what the team, what the league, what the coaches subcommittee are all trying to do in terms of um, being a force for change in terms of anti-black racism uh, and the civil rights movement, I, I guess we could call it, that's going on right now. Um, we talked a lot about that on last week's podcast with Raptors 905 assistant coach and former uh, Toronto police officer Charles Kissy. So I'll direct you there for more of that conversation. Uh, but underneath that, Nurse expressed some confidence in, in where the Raptors are and where they'll be when things start to pick up. He said, uh, end quote, Fairly confident our guys are in decent shape, and we're going to have plenty of time to get to the basketball. Um, that was in terms of uh, them having way more conversations about the non-basketball side of things than the basketball side of things right now. Uh, he also believes it'll help that they have a good team and a veteran team. Uh, in terms of practicalities, the Raptors have not uh, yet decided what they're going to do in terms of when they'll head to the U.S. and whether, you know, it seems to me unlikely they'd bring everyone back to Toronto and introduce a second border crossing quarantine into the mix. Um, it's possible they find another city in Florida to kind of meet up at and get going on the team training camp side ahead of that early July or late June meetup in uh, in Orlando at Disney. Um, so a lot more details to come. Obviously, the Raptors don't have that stuff locked down. Nurse expressed that safety is the first priority. But also, in a quote that Raptors fans will like, we're going to hopefully be in Disney for quite a while. So they're trying to consider some of the long-term impacts of getting down there pretty early, too. So um, that's your update on the return-to-play format and where we're at with uh, with the Raptors coming out of that Nick Nurse press conference, uh, or conference call, rather. Uh, we will surely have more in the coming weeks and as more certain information becomes available uh we'll continue to break that down for you here and at theathletic.com and again theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not yet a subscriber on the written side and would like to be at a discount uh after this we're going to talk to raptors play-by-play voice matt devlin about the raptors championship anniversary and you know what life's been like for matt devlin during all this and what life could look like for him uh, in a return to play format matt devlin coming up after this one year ago, this Saturday, the Toronto Raptors became NBA champions. And one of the men whose voice will be synonymous with that moment joins us today. Matt Devlin, how are you doing? Eric, thank you for, for having me. That's quite the dramatic buildup. Thank you. I, do, do you think I have a future in, in broadcasting? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm gonna have to jump in and disagree here. Sorry to interrupt already. <laughs> Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. How's uh how is it having Jack and all the boys home kind of full time lately? You know what? It's uh it's been uh it's been great. You know, the the biggest concern early on was getting Jack home, uh, but we were able to get him back and uh, you know, that's, it's been, as you, both of you know, you spend so much of your time on the road traveling, uh, you try to look at some positives and, and it's been, you know, family bonding time for sure, which, uh, in the midst of all this is, has been, 
you know, one of the positives you, you take from it. Uh, what, what has been the, the highlight in terms of your grilling action? Uh, you were telling us <laughs> yeah, beforehand, like, do you have a best, a best thing that you grill? No, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I never, I was telling you guys, I never realized how much food, you know, we, we go through with all three boys who are 2018 and 16 home. Uh, it's really, I, I try every day to do something different for them. Um, so everything from fish to steaks to chicken to, you know, the old hamburger hot dog action. But uh, from a fishing, you know, from a fish standpoint, I, I take the tin foil right, put the salmon in there, get the lemons, get the herbs in there and, and all that. So I'm, I'm trying to explore a little bit on the grilling side. That that sounds uh, delicious. I could go for some grilled salmon right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a few things to get to today. Uh, off the top, as I mentioned, a year ago, the Raptors won the NBA championship. I asked you a, this a bit uh when we were talking back in Portland, which seems like it was about six years ago mm. now, uh, for our Q&A mm. earlier in the season. Uh, the last time uh, one of the big three Toronto sports teams had won a, a championship, it was the Blue Jays in 1993. And, you know, the most memorable call, at least for locals, uh, was the touch em all Joe call from mm. Tom Cheek. Uh, take us through your thought process about uh, how much of it was... Uh, you know, in terms of you getting ready to yeah. call that moment and how much of it was you reacting to call that moment? Uh, what was it like uh, for game six? Well, Eric, it's interesting because I think both of you know, just like both of you, you prepare for a game. And and I've always, because, you know, sports is such a great theater and it, you know, unfolds in front of you and you don't know ultimately what is going to happen. I've never written anything down closing a show, you know, closing a broadcast, thinking that these are going to be my final words. And really, it wasn't until after game five uh, that it really started to, to sink in. And part of that was you know, that game unfolds, as we know, Raptors, you know, are leading and then the lead dissipates. Kyle does have an opportunity at the end from the corner on a pass from uh, Fred Van Vliet and Draymond Green, who was really between the two, uh, was able to, at the last moment, close out and just get a sliver of his fingertip on the basketball, which changed the trajectory. And as we know, Kyle missed the shot. And I, at the end of the game, you're doing your post-game wrap-up. You go down, I'm in the parking garage, and I see uh, Nick Nurse and go, Coach, uh, you know, and, and he said, ah, Maddie, he's like, uh, nobody said it was going to be easy. You know, don't worry, we got this. It was something along those lines. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I mean, I had never, I don't know with both of you covering this for the two months, I never really thought that far ahead. I was truly just calling the games in the moment and reacting to that with respect to, you know, preparation and all that. Of course, you're thinking about how does uh, yesterday affect today and does today affect tomorrow, but each game 
is almost a series in and of itself, right? Each quarter. And yeah. so I really got back home that night at about, I don't know, one thirty or so. A text came through saying, hey, this is the time the charter was going to head out uh, the next day. Got back at the airport at about 9, 9.30 on that Tuesday morning. And it's a long flight, as both of you know, to San Francisco. And I thought about, I have to, we're, you know, the Raptors are two games away. And I have to really come up with something and so i really started to think about it over the course of those two days but it was for me at least something that i wanted to include everyone because everybody has so many wonderful stories that you hear about over the course of those two months and where they all shared their experience whether it be jurassic park or whether it be all the official or non-official jurassic parks that sprouted up over across canada and you know i've heard some so many fans and friends and family you know just that were taking all this in and so it did honestly weigh on me like you know what what are you gonna say and it was you know i'd say thursday-ish you know as i'm sitting there in my hotel room you know kind of putting the final touches on everything i really wanted something succinct and it just said you know you know what does all this mean kind of what is all this about what has this journey been about and and that's when I really came up with Canada, the NBA title is yours. And then you know after you say that, that you have to then put what it is that is theirs. And that's the 2019, you know, the Toronto Raptors are the 2019 NBA champions. And, and so I had an index card and I, I wrote it down on the index card. And Eric, you know, I, I, I said to myself, do not, do not read this, do not say this until there are zeros on the clock. <laughs> and because as we all know, the games were unfolding in just unusual fashions, right? And and we saw that again in game six. And so when, you know, um, Steph Curry finally, you know, let it fly and that's when I went into it. But that was the first time in my career that I ever wrote something down, I, I felt that as far as a close of a show, I felt that it warranted it knowing that this was something that is going to live, you know, for a long time. Very different from Tom Cheek's iconic, you know, touch them all, Joe. You know, you'll never hit another in, in that. That's such an iconic uh, home run call in the moment. Uh, this was, you know, more of punctuating what was just an unbelievable, amazing ride that I was just fortunate to share with everybody that was watching. What, um, I mean... You talk about preparing for the first time. My favorite part of that is if Kyle Lowry hits that shot. Yeah. I mean, you might get a, I mean, who knows what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, who, who knows? To, yeah, uh, which is wild. Well, but that's, but that's kind of, look, that's always the fun of this. It's like, 
I remember after Kawhi hit the shot in game seven, a lot of people asked me, Matt, what did you say? What did you say? I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back <laughs> and, you know, I just let whatever, you know, and that's what I love about doing what I do is that, yes, you're prepared. Yes, you look at everything. You read Eric, you read Blake and, and you know, Blake takes it to a whole other level with the numbers <laughs> and all the other different stuff. And, and then, you know, you get into your game and then I always say the game dictates where you go, right? If it's a, and now blowouts today are different from blowouts when I started because a 20 point lead, as we know, evaporates. I, I try to explain it to my hockey friends. It's like a two goal, 20 point leads are like a two goal lead in hockey now, right? It's, you know, they, they can, you know, three threes in a row and a timeout later and all of a sudden you got a ball game, but the game will always let you know where to go. Did you have a favorite sort of behind the scenes moment from the finals? Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be game six. It could be anything yeah. you sort of witnessed that uh, maybe a lot of people wouldn't have seen. Well, there is a lot of things that happened behind, the, and, and this is what I really love and appreciate about that journey over the two months. And, and that was that everybody has their own stories. And so as you both know, you know, my family and I became Canadian citizens uh, between game one and game two was our um, ceremony. And so that was really special being in that room uh, with 104 other new Canadians that uh came from, I think it was 28 different, 27, 28 different countries. And you think about everybody's life and, you know, leading to that moment. But there were definitely some uh, fun moments behind it. One of which was um, before, I'm trying to think of what game it was. If I looked on a calendar, I could tell you, but it was during the Milwaukee series. And my, uh, the wife and I had to go in to must've been, it was in between game one and game two. My wife and I um, had to take the test, right? Obviously the citizenship yeah. test, which she got 20 out of 20. I, I got 19 <laughs> out of 20. Uh, she's definitely the brains. And we, it was fun. The hotel that we stayed at had a five o'clock happy hour, right? So everybody's sending texts, Hey, you know, come on down to the lobby, uh, you know, beers and wine. And so I ended up just saying, okay, fine, you know, guys, I'll, I'll meet you guys in the lobby and I'm bringing my iPad with me. And they're, as everybody's talking, you know, they're asking me, what, Devlin, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking the Canadian citizen, you know, practice tests, right? And they're all like, all right, come on, you know, let's, uh, let's take it with you, right? So I'm reading out the different stuff and, and it kind of became fun because there was, you know, about eight of us there. And uh, there was a, a history major uh, that is also our uh, works in audio that was absolutely stellar uh, with everything as you can imagine. <laughs> and so we had we had some fun with that. And, um, and then it, look, there were moments with family and friends uh, throughout the course of the postseason. I'm sure just like everyone experienced and then, you know, kind of a cool moment, um, which I had tweeted out, I believe, or posted uh, back, you know, last June. Um, we were, you know, the evening had ended at Oracle after game five. And um, 
we had we um, had some you know, obviously responsibilities to do post game, and we were done with that. It was Leo, uh, Routens, Jack Armstrong, and Rod Black, and literally the cleanup crew had already kind of cleaned up. There there were maybe a, I don't know. You know, I'm going to say 12 people in the entire arena. There could have been six. We had only seen probably five or six people. And we went down to the court. We're walking across to leave. And, you know, I said, hey, let's get a let's get a photo. It's a final game ever played at Oracle. And we asked someone, you know, here's, you know, the camera. And I had a Canadian flag because as both of you know, when you're in the um, uh, locker room, uh, after the you know game and the celebration, there's a lot of different flags, and I ended up uh, I was given a, a Canadian flag as a new uh, you know Canadian, which is really cool. And anyway, Leo, Jack, and Rod and myself went out to center court at Oracle, and we asked someone to take a picture of us, and and that was just a really cool moment. Uh, we you know, left and then tried to obviously get a ride, uh, figure out where, how to get a ride back over to San Francisco. But I ended up, uh, my wife took that photo and, and, and blew it up and got it framed and everything for me, which was really cool. And then I went and got, uh, the same thing done for Leo, Jack and, and Rod, you know, to think, you know, Rod and Leo obviously have been here since 1995, day one. And, uh, for Jack, who's been a part of the broadcast team for you know twenty two you know plus years, uh, it was a it was a cool moment to to close out Oracle, and we had the Canadian flag spread out among the four of us, you know, in in the picture. Uh, it it was uh, pretty special. Most importantly, what was the one question you missed on your citizenship test? <laughs> How many Canadians died in World War One? Wow. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't yeah, even ballpark, sick, I guess. Yeah. I wanna say it's sixty thousand and I, I got it wrong. Yeah. I think it was sixty thousand. I think I put eighty thousand or something like that. I think it's sixty thousand. <laughs> but this is where it'd be helpful if you could do the prices right thing and hear everyone else's answer <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. just say one person. Exactly. <laughs> you just you know, you're in that room taking it and, you know, I'm like, oh, boy, you know, all those uh, memories of taking exams and tests and things oh. like that come flooding back, which, you know, sends a whole other anxiety level to me, or at least for me, you know, uh, I was more of a grinder student than anything. That's for sure. Matt, have you uh, have you talked to Leo and Jack much through all of this? This has got to be one of the longest stretches that you you and Jack haven't cracked a beer in a while. Eh? Yeah, yeah. So we've had a couple of Zoom calls, uh, just you know, for those sort of moments. But uh, you know, Blake, we have you know, early on, everybody was you know checking in on everyone because obviously, as as both of you know, we flew the red eye back, um, you know, to Toronto from Utah. Uh, Leo had already gone to Florida. Jack was heading down to Florida, but we've all stayed connected. We've done, you know, some digital work and uh, some other WebEx meetings and things like that for uh, the Raptors. Uh, you know, texts are, you know, group texts are flying back and forth, and and we all connect for sure. I mean, it, 
you know, we're all really good friends in addition to, you know, broadcast partners. And uh, I remember this was at the uh, start of the preseason. You know, we hadn't seen each other for a little while since the title. And uh, we went out we went out to have a dinner uh, after uh, the preseason game, just kind of catch up on life and everything. And, and uh, you know, a couple of people uh, came over to the table and just said, you know, sorry to interrupt, but, hey, you know, it's great to see you guys actually are friends. You guys are, hmm. you know, laughing and joking and all that sort of stuff. We didn't know if you guys were just on TV kind of, you know, doing that. But uh, we all stay up with everybody's uh with everybody's lives. And, um, in fact, for Jack, Jack had his car at the airport. So, you know, once my, uh, quarantine, uh, was done, I went to the airport, picked up his car, uh, did his laundry, uh, had it, uh, and, uh, uh, sent out his stuff to dry cleaning. You know, he had a whole, you know, he had a whole slew of stuff, right. But, you know, based upon, you know, how good, you know, how long he was gone. And, uh, it, it was, it, it was hysterical, but we, you know, I had the car up until just a couple of days ago, uh, where, you know, we were able to get it back down to Niagara Falls. And as you both know, he lives right across from there. Uh, so we were able to at least get the car back there, uh, after having it, uh, you know, in my driveway for a few months. And then it was classic because like, Hey, can you go get the car? I don't want the you know, obviously the bill to, to go out of hand. I said, yeah, for sure. And then get it back. He goes, oh, by the way, I, I got some running gear because you know how much of a runner he is. He goes, I got some running gear in this one bag and you mind doing some laundry? Yeah, sure. We'll do the laundry <laughs> for you, Jack. You know, so that's what you do for friends, right? Yeah, I never would have picked Jack as the high maintenance uh, <laughs> one, one of you guys. Seems more like Leo's province, but uh, no, I guess no, there we go. Know, there you go. You got. You got. You got to. You got to take care of both of them. You know, Matt. Looking forward a little bit. Um, obviously, we don't have a ton of detail of what this return to play is going to look like. Um, you know, I think media is one of the the later considerations as the league and union work this out. Um, in the event, though, that you know we're in a scenario where it's you, you and Leo, or you and Jack, kind of calling games from a studio in Toronto, say, is that something you, you've ever done before? And would that be, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty novel challenge for you guys? Well, I think that that is, you know, more than likely what our reality will be on, on a couple of levels. One is obviously from a safety standpoint. Uh, I think that. Uh, they're going to limit the amount of people, understandably so, into the bubble uh, that will be Disney. And, you know, then from, you know, the economic standpoint, I think that that also is something that uh, would would certainly um, make sense for us uh, to call the games off of a monitor. I have done that. Um, in fact, uh, the first NBA game I ever broadcast was off of a monitor for ESPN International on Christmas Day. Uh, I want to say it was 1998, the Chicago Bulls against the Miami Heat, and it was broadcast to uh, New Zealand and Australia. Where and was your cameo in The Last Dance? I, I know exactly where. Why that? Why they didn't pick up my feed, right? Uh, and that was a mon that was a monitor, like a thirteen inch monitor, right? I have broadcast games off of monitors. In fact, Leo and I 
the two games in Tokyo, the two preseason games, uh, we broadcast from Tim and Sid Studios because they were 6 a.m. in the morning. And we had a, like three massive big screens in front of us. And there are definite challenges to it because, as both of you know, it's just like trying to report a story off of just watching your television screen, right? There is so much more going on and there is a feel that you get when you're in that arena. Now, when all of us started, you know, we used to all be right there on the court. And now, as we know, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, writers or whether it's broadcast teams, you're getting moved back further and further. Uh, But there is an element that from a broadcasting standpoint, um, you will miss. But that, you know, look, this is the new norm. It's completely understandable. And I'm just going to be happy to see a ball go up in the air and to call a game. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> I've had some fun moments around the house, house uh, <laughs> calling play-by-play of my kids just doing mundane things <laughs> and them, look, <laughs> them looking at me, you know, Jack heads to the refrigerator, uses his right arm, swings it open and looks for the orange juice, you know. Um, and, you know, which lends itself to some, you know, pretty funny stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, we've had some fun doing that, but I can't wait for the ball to go up. And, and if it's off of a monitor, it's, it's off of a monitor. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly okay with that at this stage, given everything that we're, you know, you know, everything that's going on. Right. Well, I think everybody involved who, uh, you know, listens to this podcast and assuming it's safe, uh, we can't wait to hear you call those games and see those games. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today to relive some memories and think uh, think about what's to come. Well, I appreciate uh, both of you uh, having me on. And as you both know, I've said it before, really uh, enjoy reading both of you and uh, keep up the great work. And Look forward to all of us uh, getting back at it and talking about games. Thanks so much, Matt. Checks really in the mail. Really appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> checks in the mail also. We'll take it. And guys, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hopefully there are some more uh, return to play details that we can break down from a Raptors perspective. Eric, thanks, man. Thank you. See ya.